Well, that looks better, doesn't it? A lot better. I feel like I can sneak out now. Last weekend, uh, Mary and Mike and I watched a movie called A Knight's Tale, and it was an amusing, uh, happily ever after story about a, a young man who aspires to be a knight, and uh, through connivance and uh, a number of means, he, he ends up becoming a knight and, becomes, and he gets the girl as well. It's a, it's a good... It's a feel-good story, hallelujah, yeah. And the star of the show is a guy called Heath Ledger. All the girls know Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was in another movie, uh, which was an altogether different movie called The Dark Knight. And in this movie, he plays a mentally disturbed, evil, twisted character, the Joker, uh, who comes up against Batman. And shortly after finishing that movie, Heath Ledger tragically died from an overdose of prescription drugs. And many have speculated uh, that the mental anguish of the character that he was involved in, in A Dark Night, had something to do with his ultimate demise. A lot of pop stars, a lot of celebrities seemed to die around the age of 27. Heath Ledger was 28 years of age. Uh, Other famous people who have lost their lives around that age, Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, the list goes on and on. And and in fact, there is such a thing, a, a morbid thing, as the 27 Club. Young men and women destroyed in their prime of life But what is it that destroys people? What is it that destroys people? Jesus said the following in this morning's reading that Carol just read to us. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it. What is the road to destruction and where does it begin? Well, let me say, especially to our parents in our midst this morning, the road to destruction can begin very, very early. It can begin very, very early. You see, God has placed us in a family context to teach us His ways, to experience His love through the love of parents to understand that we are part of something bigger than just ourselves. He sets us in families, and He teaches us the way to life. He teaches us the way to life. And so the child, the two-year-old, learns from his or her mother and father what it means to be loved. The three-year-old learns what it means to obey the word no, or they should. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, right, parents? God has placed us in the family context to learn His love and to learn His way. Now, if that love bestowed by parents upon children is a conditional love that's based on a performance, then children can easily walk in the danger of being externally compliant yet still inwardly rebellious. And Jesus has been teaching his disciples through the Sermon on the Mount this very truth that you can be externally compliant, but internally you're still just as much a rebel as you were when you were born. As a child grows, 
if the heart remains internally unchanged, although outwardly doing the right things and saying the right things, that rebellion can ferment insides. Once parental oversight is lifted, the freedom that moving away from home becomes intoxicating. The first-year student chooses to embrace the world and all that it has to offer. A few beers becomes an all-night binge. The joint at the party becomes laced with party pills and meth. The friendships become sexually engaged, promiscuous and entangled. And then employment is added and a whole other level of freedom is given which brings financial freedom that allows this lifestyle to multiply. And then one day you wake up aged 27 years of age. And suddenly you realize you've been led down a path by Satan with this so-called freedom. It was so easy at first, so natural, but all the while he is enslaving you to addictions and you are his pawn, unable to think straight, unable to obey any other command other than that which you ordained for yourself. You are desperately lost. And he whispers the final half-truth to your stricken brain that you are alone, that you are lost, and you are without hope. And you are one step away from dying. You're one step away from dying. Chris Christopherson wrote about that truth in his song, To Beat the Devil. And he dedicates that song to his friend June and Johnny Cash. Chris didn't have his theology worked out at that point, but he knew he had to do something to beat the devil, otherwise he was going to end up destroyed. You see, there's a choice to be made. And Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is now beginning to set up the stark dichotomy that every one of us has to choose. The stark dichotomy between the way of life and the way of destruction. He says there is a road to life and there is a road to destruction. The road to destruction, Jesus says, is broad, it's wide. The gate is wide, which basically means anybody can and will embark on this journey. The world tells you you can be anything you want. You can define who you are. Follow your dreams, follow your passions, follow your desires. You can be what you choose to be, the world would tell you. But Jesus warns that just because the crowd is embarked on this journey, just because there's a whole lot of people traveling on this journey with you does not mean that you are on the road to life. Indeed, quite the contrary, he says. You may well be on the road to destruction. I walked this road for 27 years, and I can tell you it will destroy you. But there's a small gate that provides entry to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. It's so small, in fact, there is only one possible entry into the road to life. He describes it. He says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If someone tells you that there is another way of salvation, then they tell you lies. They speak falsely, and their end is God's judgment. But Jesus alone provides you with the blessed pathway to freedom. He is the gate. 
He is the entry into the kingdom. Now, verse 13 and 14 articulate the path to destruction. And verses 15 and following, Jesus turns his attention back to religious teachers. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The false prophets believe that they are speaking on behalf of God's just as they did in Jeremiah and Ezekiel's time. The imagery that Jesus is using here of wolves in sheep's clothing is similar to the John passage we just referenced. God's people are likened to sheep, and the false prophets use deception, and they infiltrate God's flock, and they pose a very real threat to the safety of God's people. So we might ask, who are these false prophets? Well, the Apostle Peter perhaps gives the clearest exposition in the New Testament of the false prophets. Second Peter chapter 1, we read the following. You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. The false prophets deny the very existence of the Lord Jesus himself. Some of you will be familiar with Philip Yancey. He's written a number of books, popular books, uh, one in particular that stands out is What's So Amazing About Grace. But he's recently written his memoir where he describes his upbringing in a very conservative, in his words, fundamentalist southern church, and he describes the trauma of his upbringing. He was born into a godly family. His mum and dad had ambitions and a call to go onto the mission field in Africa. They were doing everything they could to plan to go to Africa until when their two boys, Philip and the older brother who is, I can't remember his name, Marshall, they were age one and three. Their father was struck down with polio and he went into hospital. He was placed into an iron lung to keep him alive at that point. But such was his faith. He believed that God would heal him. And against his doctor's wishes, he discharged himself from the hospital, and within three days, he was dead. And this traumatized the family, to say the least. Philip, in his own words, learnt later in life that his father, the saintly giant who hovered over to his life, was actually a holy fool. And their mother, in their grief, made a vow on their father's gravestone 
that the two boys would take their place on the mission field in Africa and they would go and serve God on the mission field. And she did everything she could to get them to replace mum and dad on the mission fields. As children, teens and young men, the Yancey brothers cannot live up to their mother's unyielding expectations and eventually they give up trying. Marshall, when he shifted from the Bible college that his mother had sent him to, went and transferred to Wheaton College. His mother saw this as the ultimate betrayal, going to this liberal bastion, Wheaton College. And such was her angst, and such was her disappointment. She recalled, Philip recalls the caustic language she used to express her fury. And I'll read what she wrote to her eldest boy. I'll do whatever it takes to stop you, young man. You listen to me. If you find a way to pull off this plan, I guarantee you one thing. I'll pray every day for the rest of your life that God will break you. Maybe you'll be in a terrible accident and die. That'll teach you. Or better yet, maybe you'll be paralyzed. Then you'll have to lie on your back and stare at the, stare at the ceiling and realize what a rebellious thing you've done going against God's will and everything you've been brought up to believe. What causes a mother to write such poison against her child in the name of God? What causes a mother to do that? The woman believing she's a spokesperson for God, doing the work of God by pronouncing a curse on her own son. Philip's brother never really recovered. He embraced a life of the hippie life, a drug-infused culture. He is an atheist to this day. The mother is 97 years old and still breathing. I initially wrote she's still alive. I'm not sure about that. She's still breathing. She has never recanted from the curse she spoke over her son Marshall, and Marshall is an atheist. What causes a mother to articulate those sorts of words in the name of God? By their fruit, you will know them, Jesus says. As Jesus draws to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he is setting up some very stark dichotomies. He begins to illustrate a kingdom heart by pointing out the stark pairings we have to choose from. The two roads, the road to life and the road to destruction. The two trees, the tree of good fruit and the tree of bad fruit. And next week we'll hear about the two builders. The inference is clear. Jesus says we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Dylan puts it this way. He says, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Let's have no more talk of doing our best, of fitting our public worship in on a Sunday if I have no better options of excusing lust, of anger and worry and judging our brother. Jesus says we have a choice to make. There are two pathways. There is the way of life and the way of destruction. And the profoundness of the revelation that Jesus gives us in this sermon is that tragically there are more types of people on the road to destruction than just the Jim Morrisons and the Janis Joplins and the Heath Ledgers. 
There are far too many people who claim religion as their God, who read the letter of the law and wield the law as a curse. And Jesus says, watch out for the false prophets. You see, without Christ, you are lost. Without Christ, you are lost. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a brothel, whether you're in a prison cell, or where you have a, a religious garb on, a bishop's mitre, without Christ, you are lost. Come to Him today. Choose the way of life. Choose the way of life that's described in Isaiah 35, where we read, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. You see, Isaiah is talking about the cross of Calvary. God will come. He will come with judgment on all wickedness in this world, but He will come to save you. He has done that in the cross of Calvary. Come to Christ. Isaiah goes on to say about the way of life, the road to life, when he says, and a highway will be there. It'll be called the way of holiness. It will be there for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. And they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's the way of life. Choose the way of life. Without Jesus Christ, you are lost in your sin. And it doesn't matter if that sin is the sin of hedonism and all that the world can offer, or it is the sin of religious legalism without Christ, you are lost. Lost in our unbelief. But the moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you say, I believe, Jesus, that you alone fulfill the law of God and choose to follow you on the way of holiness, as three of our brothers and sisters have done this morning, The moment you say that, God pours His grace into your heart, His love through His Holy Spirit, and He gives you a heart transplant as we've been describing a kingdom heart, a kingdom heart. Come to the cross today. Lay down your sin and lay down your own righteous acts and say, Jesus, please take charge of my life. I want to walk the road to life. You see, the world will tell you, follow your dreams. You can be anything that you want. You can create anything that you want. Follow your passions. Follow your desires. And that road leads to destruction, Jesus says. And the false prophets will tell you, you must obey my interpretation of the law. If you don't, they speak curses on you, failing to recognize that God has come in His Son at the cross of Calvary to do away with the curse, to remove the shame and the curse. Both these roads, the road of the world and the road of the false prophets, Jesus says, will ultimately lead to destruction. But Jesus says, to know life, to know eternal life, you come to me. You come to me, the one who brings life eternal life. 
Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we sit under your word, as we sit under the Sermon on the Mount, as you bring these warnings of the road to destruction, we thank you and praise you that you, more than anything, show us and embody and give to us the road to life. And so this morning, as a church, we choose the road to life. We acknowledge that the road to life has a small gate. There is only one way. There is only one entry point, and you, Lord Jesus, are that entry point. And so I pray for every person here this morning that by your revelation you would grant us the repentant faith that allows us to come afresh to you, Jesus, the gate, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, minister that life to all of us this morning. Minister that way of holiness that we might walk and step with your Spirit. Grant us the freedom and the joy and the peace that comes from walking on this road to holiness. We thank you and praise you for your grace. We thank you and praise you for the gift of faith this morning. Minister that faith in your church, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.